the following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. When Nicole Sandler sits down to do her show, she's the producer, booking the guests, pulling the audio, planning the show, the engineer, running the controls, troubleshooting any problems, playing the sounds, calling the guests, and she's the webmaster, writing the blog, posting the podcast, maintaining the website, not to mention the host, interviewing the guests, explaining the issues, giving opinions, and calling out the bad guys, and then you get the Nicole Sandler Show on NicoleSandler.com. Yeah, we're a little busy around here. A lot going on today. Today, well, happens to be Holocaust Remembrance Day. We're going to get to that in just a moment. In fact, that's going to be the focus of the show today. But I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge another anniversary of sorts that today is. In fact, it was 11 years ago this morning, I suppose, technically this morning, 11 years ago at I don't know, around 3 a.m. when I was able to finally call David, who was at the time not yet my husband, but my boyfriend, and ask him to come bail me out of jail. You see, that evening, well, the night before, 11 years ago last night, I went to what was billed as a town hall meeting with my then congressman, the heinous Alan West, um, who these days is trying to have some sort of relevance in Texas and not doing too well at it. But anyway, so Alan West um, was holding a town hall meeting. That day, I guest hosted Randy Rhodes' show. She was still syndicated by Premier Networks. And I was talking about the fact that I was going to this town hall meeting and I wanted to challenge West on his vote to privatize Medicare. Right. And the the town hall meetings he had had up to that point, people were actually allowed to ask questions while they heard that I was coming. And so they changed the process that day so that the questions had to be read by one of West staffers. He had to write them down on a card. So when they finally got to the question of the vote, and again, this was from 2011. You remember it was the days after the Affordable Care Act was passed and the Republicans were trying to kill it. And so. Paul Ryan was speaker, and they voted to privatize Medicare. So this happened 11 years ago today, or yesterday, actually, at this point. It was April 26, 2011. Questions. About time. So this first one is from Angel out of Broward, and her question is, please explain who and how Medicare will be affected with the budget cut. Sure. The, the thing is, what we're looking at is we have to make Medicare sustainable for the future. Now, I was you in the second row, center. Older, there is no change in Medicare for you. If you are 54 and younger, you will see a different type of system. Everyone talks about, you know, this great, you know, congressional health care. What we're saying is we want to see all people in the United States of America be on that type of system. Oh, now, you're also so not true. He's America such a liar. He lies about everything. Well, that, you know, th- this is true, except he didn't know what he was talking about here. We're talking about a defined contribution. We're talking about putting the American citizen in charge of no. their health care decisions. And we're talking about bringing in competition. Sorry about the shaky camera work. I was holding it while no, raising you're my hand. About- to it. No, this is a town hall meeting. Wait a minute. It's a town hall meeting. A town hall meeting means back and forth. I want to know how a profit motive makes Medicare more efficient. How is a 75-year-old who's obese with high blood pressure going to get insurance? What? And then, and then I was escorted out of the room and um, subsequently arrested uh, thrown in the Broward County Jail overnight, um, maced because I dared to tell the guard that he owed four of us an apology for throwing us in a in a cell that was used to store mattresses, a room really meant for one person, and forgotten about um, 
and because I told him he owed us an apology. I was put in a cell by myself and locked in there and forgotten about. And then, one, you know, long story short, maced in jail. Lovely treatment at the, by the hand of the Broward County Sheriff's Office 11 years ago. Just couldn't let the occasion go by without, uh, without mentioning it. Oh, my goodness. Wow. All right. So arrested for what? For um, committing democracy, for attempting to ask my congressman a question at an event that was billed as a town hall meeting. So that happened. That was 11 years ago. And the video is there. I mean, there's tons of stuff. If you, you know, if you go to uh, NicoleSandler.com and just put in Alan West or arrest in the uh, search, it, it should come up. Or just go find the show. It should be posted there from um, April 28th, because I didn't do a show on the 27th. So it would be April 28th. Uh, 2022 because the morning of the 27th I'm thinking I should be home already at that time I was doing my show at 10 a.m and I'm watching the clock and going I guess I don't have a show today (laughs) um yeah didn't happen David was finally able to bail me out I don't know what time it was but it was it was that afternoon yeah yeah so anyway that happened 11 years ago wow I don't think David ever got his 25 dollars back either that was my bond. It was 25 bucks. And yes, they dropped the charges because they had nothing to hold me on. But Alan West bragged about um, how I was treated that night. What a piece of shit he is. And he's in Texas and, by the way, lost his bid for governor. All right. So that's that. Now let's move on to today. So as I explained in my notes for today's show, um, today is... Holocaust Remembrance Day. And as with much of uh, things that happen in the world of Judaism, it actually begins tonight at sundown and it runs through tomorrow at sundown, go figure. Um, Because that's how, I don't know, I'm such a bad Jew. Look, I am non-observant. I was born into a Jewish family, but a secular Jewish family. Um, We had three girls. I had two sisters. And back then, you know, my, the youngest, my sister, my younger sister was born, I think, in 64. It wasn't as common for girls to get bat mitzvahed as it was uh, required that boys got bar mitzvahed. So it was still sort of an optional thing when I was a kid. Now I think most girls do get become bat mitzvahed. Um, but we didn't. We didn't belong to a temple. We'd go to uh, the synagogue for other people's bar mitzvahs and for weddings and stuff. But that was it. Um, So it was a non-observant family. My cousins were more observant, so we'd go to their house for Passover and such. So I grew up knowing that my heritage was Jewish and, and the traditions but I didn't know much about the, the dogma. I didn't know about the religion. What I did know was that the Holocaust happened. And I did know that, um, you know, actually, when I was very young, when I lived in New York, uh, we lived in, a, I think, a predominantly Jewish neighborhood. And I didn't know that, the, that Judaism was a, a minor religion in terms of the world religions. I thought we were, you know, the, quote, normal ones. But again, we were not religious. We were secular. Um, but, I, but I always knew about the Holocaust. And back then, nobody questioned whether it happened or not. And we weren't told that, um, uh, you know, there were people who didn't believe it. I didn't know that Holocaust denial was a thing, um, but apparently it was. So anyway... Here we are now, uh, the year is 2022, and (laughs) there are Holocaust deniers. Not only that, there's a rising um, contingent, I guess, of neo-Nazis, of anti-Semitism around the world, not just here, but certainly here and around the world. Uh, We saw it in Charlottesville. We saw the tiki torch carrying neo-Nazis chanting, Jews will not replace us. And this year, more than any other year I can remember, um, we, I, I'm seeing more and more mentions of 
the fact that today is Holocaust Remembrance Day. And maybe it's not only because of the rising tone of anti-Semitism and the rise of neo-Nazis and the rise of right-wing crazy politicians like Donald Trump here and Marine Le Pen in France and, you know, you name it around the world. But what we're seeing happening in Ukraine every day, and I'm not saying it's the same, although it does appear to be a genocide. It appears that, that Vladimir Putin wants to wipe out all the Ukrainians. What makes it even more perverse, more obscene, is that he's saying we're going to denazify Ukraine. Well, the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, is Jewish. And many of his family members were killed in the Holocaust. That makes this even more insulting. Are there probably Nazis um, and bands of Nazis operating in Ukraine? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are. But they're not in government, and they're certainly not working with President Zelensky. And Vladimir Putin is a liar and a bigot and a um, just the scum of the earth. And so maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's that we're seeing, um, I guess, a resurgence in these these fascist tendencies, and it's growing. I, for instance, worry about what's happening here in the U.S. I worry about the next election because they're not just Republicans anymore in the Alan West vein. You know, he's a war criminal, a liar, a thief, a, you know, you name it. But I don't think he was a Nazi, although he's probably changed now because he goes with, you know, the lowest common denominator. And that's where today's Republican Party is headed. And it's frightening. And so all these and then and then there's the fact that the people who survived the Holocaust, the people who survived the camps, the death camps are getting really old now. And, you know, their stories must be told before they die off. And I think there's a resurgence in that. So today, I'm actually going to feature interviews with two different people about two different films that are premiering this week that you can watch. Um, They'll both be on PBS. Now, the the second one, we're going to talk with um, a, a songwriter, at the bottom of the hour, whose name is Michael Veach. And he's one of four singer-songwriters who participated in this program based in the Hudson Valley of New York, where they would visit Holocaust survivors and listen to them, hear their stories, and then collaborate with them to write a song to commemorate their memories. The, the, the resulting film is called We Remember Songs of Survivors. And it it premiered last night on PBS. It's going to run throughout the month, through May 24th. Uh, It's going to run on 450 PBS stations. It's also also available at, um, uh, I think, pbs.org and the PBS video app. So we're going to get to that in a little while. But first, I'm going to share with you some... uh, interview and information about yet another film. And this one's a, a, a smaller um, production. This one will be, will air tonight and tomorrow night on one PBS station in Southern California. Um, but of course I said, well, I can't, I can't do something about uh, a film that only a small portion of the audience can see. So, um, the uh, the producer of the film is going to join us in just a moment. Arranged for it to be posted on YouTube, and I'll I'll share that that URL with you um, shortly so you can watch it. But um, let's bring in, um, <laughs> hold on, let's bring in our guest uh, Stephen. Is it is it Pina? How do I pronounce yes. your last name? Stephen Pina. Yes, Steve Pina, Perfect. who <laughs> is and you're the producer of this film, The Holocaust: The Turning Point. Yes. Yes, uh, it was uh, executive uh, produced, sponsored by the Frieda Berlinski Foundation, and I produced the uh, 
the, the actual program itself. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how how did this how did this come about? First, you you mentioned the Frida Berlinski uh, uh, Foundation. You were working with them, and tell us. Yes, tell us uh, this. yeah, former business partner of mine. Uh, we were both together at uh, Smith Barney and uh, UBS out here, and I moved on back into entertainment. And he is was the financial advisor for the foundation, and uh, connected with him. We produced a couple other shows, uh, musical shows, but her main interest, Frida Berlinski, was a Holocaust survivor, and was pretty successful for a widowed. Uh, older lady that worked in real estate and her business to have a a nice foundation uh, amount to work with. And her main concern was PBS and supporting PBS. So all the shows we've done have aired on our local PBS. And we did one for Chicago PBS as well. Right. We wanted to do something to honor her, her memory. Awesome. So this is um, uh, the, the turning point premieres again tonight at 11 p.m. and then again tomorrow at 7 p.m. Pacific on a, a PBS station in L.A., uh, correct? Yes. Um, yes. And then it's also going to be up on the YouTube channel of a rabbi who participates in the project. Tell us a little bit about um, uh, Rabbi Friedman. Yes, Rabbi Manus Friedman, just an incredible gentleman. He's got uh, so so much a wealth of wisdom and knowledge that was ever since I had the opportunity to meet with him a couple of years back, I've just been almost a regular viewer of his YouTube's posting. He's referred to as YouTube's number one rabbi. So <laughs> he's uh, quite, quite the uh, interesting person and has just a, like I say, a wealth of knowledge. And he, his whole interest was to uh, put a, not a spin on it, but a look at the Holocaust through a different lens uh, of them being her- heroes and what their legacy is and has been as rather than just survivors or victims. Uh, he wanted to accentuate the fact of just what their lives meant to the Jewish community and actually a, through their legacy through, to the world because they wanted to live life as they were so close to death. And that mm. was kind of the legacy of life is what's important, not just existing. Right. So so a lot of the film is an interview uh, between him and somebody else who's one of the foremost authority scholars on the Holocaust. Yes, yes. So Professor Michael Berenbaum, uh, he's a professor at the American Jew- Jewish University where we filmed the uh, roundtable. And he's also the executive editor of the Encyclopedia Judaic- Judaica. He was the uh, project director for the creation of the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. Uh, he's an Academy Award winning film and documentary winner, Emmy Award winner. And he's curated over a dozen Holocaust museums around the world, along with his partner, Ed Jacobs, that does the architect, and he curates them, and including the one in Miami Beach. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I haven't been there, but maybe you never know. I'm in, I'm in South Florida. So, um, I mean, you, you don't have a trailer for the film, but I did. you did send a few clips. So I just want to play just a couple of clips so people get an idea of what they'll see in this film. And it's, it's not just the talking heads. So um, here's, here's an excerpt from Turning Point. The Orthodox community in the 50s was absolutely sure that they were the last generation that's going to be observant. My grandfather did not expect me to be observant. He was hoping I would maybe keep Shabbat a little bit. Because <laughs> that was the attitude. It was very dark. Jews responded to death by recreating life. Now, that's an incredible response. His parents did not know where they were going to live. They had no way of knowing what the world was going to be like. And yet they took this incredible gamble of bringing a child into the world. It's awesome and, and fascinating. To, um, to lay out and, and spell out the contrast. How do you go from that to this, right? It, it's, it's a different universe. How do you make that switch? How do you bounce back? It's a fascinating subject, and it's very inspiring. Mm. But logically, I think we have to assume that it wasn't a switch there was something going on while they were suffering that leads to life. 
you know, I got to say, there's you show footage in there. We have some people obviously watching on video, but many people listening to the audio stream. So they didn't see the images in that last segment. They were it, it showed the inside of a gas chamber at Auschwitz. It showed um, the death camps. Um, so it it is the interview, but you also have a lot of uh, historical archival footage in there. Yes, and we were fortunate enough also to have a, a third uh, member of the panel, and that was um, Father Ron Schmidt, a Jesuit uh, priest, and he told the incredible story of us. Uh, of a Polish Catholic resistance fighter uh, who was imprisoned in uh, Auschwitz for more than five years. And when he got out after World War II, when he was uh, got his freedom, uh, he suffered a stroke uh, years later. But it, when he came out of his stroke, whatever happened, uh, he started drawing with a fine pencil art. And he did a full-length film for PBS a few years back uh, called The Labyrinth. And the drawings were just so incredible and eerie. <laughs> just uh, so that that was another segment that we added. To oh it. yeah. Um. In fact, I wonder if I if I can um find because in the in the, you sent me a reel that had a bunch of clips. In fact, you know what? Let me share the next clip because this does have uh, the artwork that he's talking about, and it is it is pretty magnificent. So here's here's that segment. The film is The Labyrinth, The Testimony of Marion Kowodjieh. He was one of the first to, to enter Auschwitz on June 14, 1940. He was on the first transport into Auschwitz. He was given number 432. Ooh. And the film features his artwork that he did after Auschwitz, much later in life, after he had a stroke where he started to do pen and ink drawings of his time in Auschwitz. They're horrific drawings, beautifully rendered is the best way to speak mm. it. They're pen and ink. But they tell the story of what he went through and what all the people at Auschwitz went through. In uh, skeleton, their skeleton outlines. Um, you know, in, in the film that I'm going to... Um, uh, talk about after this one. There, um, there's one of the participants, one of the um, uh, survivors who participated in this program um, was also an artist. I guess the survivors have to or had to get their stories out and had to um, keep them alive however they could. Many of them used art. <clears throat> yes, they referred to the uh... Uh, especially with the music and art as life that they could hold on to because there was no other form of life in those camps other than, or freedom, I guess, would be the, the, the better expression. There was no real freedom except their music and art. And they get that gave them like a lifeline to existing and surviving for so many of them. In fact, I had hoped to include other segments. We started this just when COVID hit, so yes. we had to shut down production for almost a, a full year. And uh, I really had done a lot of research on the music side. So you, your uh, guest later on, uh, Michael Vitt, uh, very interesting. And I, it's just uh, a great segment, <clears throat> excuse me, a great segment as well on uh, music is so important. It is important. And, and that's the thing that I'm realizing, you know, the, the, the idea of a Holocaust Remembrance Day, this I think happened in the early 60s, that this day became a, a thing to preserve the stories, to make sure we never forget as the saying goes. Um, but it seems to me, and maybe it's just me, maybe it's just uh, th what I'm seeing, but it seems to me this year, um, that the 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 observances of Holocaust Remembrance Day are much more plentiful. That there are all these films, not just these two. These are just the two I chose to spotlight. But there's all kinds of stuff going on that I haven't been aware of. This number of of productions or programs in observance of this day in previous years. Is, is it more pronounced now or is I'm just taking notice of it more? No, no, it's definitely more pronounced. And I think that at, at least two uh, causes to it that I put my finger on, and one is the rise of authoritarianism mm -hmm. around the world. 
even at our beloved United States, it's uh, prevalent. And uh, just watched a segment on MSNBC this morning on the rise in anti-Semitism. Yep. It's up 4% year over year. It's up, I'm sorry, and, how much? Uh, 40%, if I remember correctly. They had a nice segment on it, like saying MSNBC. Uh-huh. Morning. Uh, so, yeah, it's really, uh, it's sad that, you know, however many years later, what, 75 or whatever it is, we still have faced this rising tide of authoritarianism and anti-Semitism. And that's why I thought, you know, it's our earnest hope that this program can serve as an inspiration during these times in some way of, of showing the courage and heroics that that came forth out of this tragic timeline in human history. Absolutely. It's it's so important. You know, there's there are projects. There's all kinds of projects. Um, some years ago, in between, when I thought I was getting out of radio, I started a video production company where I was producing family histories. And I really wanted to speak with, you know, interview Holocaust survivors and get their stories down. Now, I was just one person and I didn't have an entree there, but there are many groups who are doing similar things. Do you know if, is there going to be one central repository anywhere or is, do you know if anything like that's in the works? No, I think they, all the uh, museums uh, have a segment dedicated to survivors. And as you were saying, there's so many programs that are out now and films and documentaries. And so I think it's very accessible, but I don't think it's all in, in any one spot that I'm aware of anyways. Right. But it seems like people are getting creative, trying to share the stories and document what happened and make sure that it can live on. So you did your film. By the way, we should mention, um, just because I don't want anyone to be surprised. So, you know, when you when we first spoke, I saw this was airing on this one PBS station out in Southern California. And I, you know, I said, you know, I've got listeners everywhere can they watch it anywhere else? And you didn't have other distribution set up yet, but you did arrange to have the film posted on the YouTube channel of the rabbi who participates in it, Rabbi Friedman. And I went to the YouTube channel and I was a bit alarmed, taken aback by the fact that his top video, you know, there's usually a promotional video and it's a segment he was on OAN, which is, one America news, which is anything but news. It's a propaganda channel. It's right wing hate talk. Um, it's just awful. Problem is the rabbi is a, a Hasidic rabbi, right? And, and most of, and I, I tell please step in if I get anything wrong. Cause I, you know, I, I, I have a hard time with this stuff. Much, much of the Hasidic world is very right wing. They're very conservative. And for whatever reason, they embraced Trump and Trumpism, and he f- he fed into their the right wing Israeli, you know, uh, the the um, uh, Netanyahu uh, regime and all that right wing uh, conservative Jewish um, world is in line with them for whatever reason, and I've no reason to believe that this rabbi is any different. The thing is, this observance is is uh, far and away apart from politics. This has nothing to do with who leads Israel or who's the president here, um, but about remembering what happened that should never happen again. Yes, and, uh, you know, I know Rabbi is conservative. I don't, we never have discussed really politics other than I know he was very concerned about the uh, rise of authoritarianism and uh, and also he was really concerned we know, with the rise in anti-Semitism over mm-hmm. all of our conversations. This piece here that he put up was promoting his book, and they didn't discuss anything outside of the parameters of his book on love and marriage. So I think that the clip is innocuous, but I agree the station is abhorrent. Right. I wish he, I wish he would pull a, an interview from a more um, uh, amenable <laughs> outlet because they're yeah. not. And, uh, you know, it's a shame that 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 made me think, oh, my God, do I even want to go there? Um, yeah. You know what? No, I get it because I'm like I was saying, I, I have relatives and good friends that are that were supporting Trump and I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. You know, and it, almost hard to stay friends with some of them, but you try to hold your nose and keep going. <laughs> That's it. And so we're going to have political differences um, but in this case, this is not about politics. This is history. And we cannot allow the history to be rewritten or forgotten. 
And, you know, frankly, what we're seeing happening in Ukraine right now is a very sad reminder of what can easily happen again. Mm. So, you know, um, uh, Steve Peanut, thank you so much. Thank you for doing the film. So it is, I'll put a link to the YouTube channel on the blog um, where I post today's show. It'll be at NicoleSandler.com slash 4-27-22. But it is the... the um, the YouTube channel of Manis Friedman, M-A-N-I-S-F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Do you know when it's going to be posted there? Uh, I believe it's going up today. Okay, so cool. So people can go there. I'll put the link on the blog and and go check it out. Um, I'm going to run because I see we have Michael Veach standing by to move on to the next thing. Steve, um, great meeting you. Thank you for making this film. I know it was under tough circumstances because of COVID on top of everything else, but uh, congratulations. Thank you, and thank you for having me on board and uh, pass my good wishes and commendment to uh, Michael as I really am a, a fan of what he's doing. They said that the music took the grief out of the privacy of their hearts. Right. So it's so important, that music. No, so, uh, yes, it really is. So Steve Pina, again, the um, uh, producer, whoops, the producer of the new film. Um, uh, hold on one second, Steve, um, uh, Michael. Um, the new film is called, uh, sorry, I'm all messed up here, uh, The Turning Point. And again, I'll put links on the blog. So Michael Veach is going to join us in just a moment. In fact, you know what, Michael, let me get our shot set up and I'll bring you in and we'll chat for a moment. Um, you know what, before I bring you in, I want to play the trailer for the, for the film. Um, Michael is, is one of the people who participated in this film that's uh, premiered last night on, and it's going to air on 450 PBS stations around the country. Uh, it premiered last night, but it runs through the month of May. Um, here's the trailer. So you'll see what we're talking about here. We wanted to honor Holocaust survivors artistically through songs. They came together to tell survivors' stories through music. Music was very important in my life. I don't think I would have survived if I didn't have music. The result was a concert of healing and celebration. Music is what really tells the heart part of the story. We remember Songs of Survivors. Tuesday night at 7. Okay, so that was a promo for uh, an airing at Tuesday night at 7. Hold on, I'm just trying to get our shot together. Michael, bear with me. I'm not a filmmaker. I'm a radio person, so I'm a little slow on the uptake here, but I'm coming. Uh, So Michael Veach uh, joins us now. Here we go. There we are. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the show. Um, (laughs) uh, Thank you for joining us today. So the film that we're talking about is um, We Remember, Songs of Survivors. And this grew out of a project in the Hudson Valley of New York where four singer-songwriters, yourself being one of them, um, visited Holocaust survivors and met with them, learned their stories with the goal of writing original songs to, uh, to, to showcase what they went through. What, what, tell us the, the premise. I should have you do that. Uh, well, first of all, there were more than four of us. There were only four in the film. Oh, but, I see. Uh, there, were, there were at least nine or ten different songwriters um, working with um, a lot of different Holocaust survivors. Uh, we had two rounds of, of work. And, you know, it's, the project was originally focused on elders, getting an elder's story and finding out what they wanted to say through, through a song. And it could be anything, you know. Um, and it was a great way to interact with elders and a great way to sort of get them, you know, being creative. And this project was actually specifically uh, tied to Holocaust survivors and was funded uh, by grants through the Jewish services. And so um, I jumped into it because I had been living in Germany and I uh, studied the Holocaust while I was living in Germany. And this would have just, this well, this did really uh, fill in a whole lot for me, working with someone who actually had experienced it. So uh, it was great. So you came at this because came to this project because you had lived in Germany and you're curious. I, I, I'm guessing you're not Jewish. I'm not Jewish, uh, but I am a songwriter, and um, uh, I uh, this all started with a song I wrote called Veterans Day, which um, 
I rode after being in Austria, of all places, and noticing a um, war memorial in the middle of this little village in Austria that looked exactly like the war memorial in the little village in Vermont that I grew up in. The only difference was that instead of an eagle being on top, there was a swastika, and there was a whole list of, of names of the people who had been killed in the war. Um, and that inspired me to write a song uh, called Veterans Day, which was, you know, more or less honoring all veterans, not just the ones on the other, on our side, you know, but everybody. Um, my feeling is it's the leaders that really are the ones to blame for these wars, not the troops, you know. Oh, yeah. And, uh, uh, and then uh, uh, one thing led to another, and, you know, I, I just, I was in Germany for two years, and... There is so much uh, to learn from the other side that we never get taught in the schools. And uh, I spent a lot of time with people whose grandparents had lived through the war, and I heard a lot of interesting stories, did a lot of research. And so this was a this was a great experience for me. I'll bet, I'll bet, and and the the resulting film is just lovely, and we're going to get to one of the songs that you have in it. So there were many more than just the four of you who are featured in in the right. film, um, but it follows the four of you and your meetings with these Holocaust survivors. So you were teamed up with um, with Rita, right? With a woman yep, named Rita, Rita Schwartz. Yes. So tell us about Rita's story. Uh, she was about 10 years old living in Vienna when uh, the German, you know, occupation happened. And she experienced uh, Kristallnacht, which was the night that they came through and destroyed all the businesses that owned by oh. the, the Jews. And, uh, you know, they came and took everything out of her apartment. You know, she was, they were, they were a family of, you know, they were well off. They had had a grand piano and oriental rugs and artwork and everything. they got cleaned out. Um, many of her family members were killed and uh, she went on the run for about three years. Uh, basically walked from Austria to Belgium um, hiding wow. and um, eventually got on a boat with her, her mother and her brother and uh, came to the U.S., Wow. So yeah. so when you would meet with her, would you talk about everything and then just mine the stories <laughs> to for to come up with a concept for a song? Um, well, you know, it starts with us getting uh, PTSD training. Um, really? the, the songwriters had to had to be I uh, had to go through a, a three hour uh, program before we could even meet with the Holocaust survivors. It's very important not to, you know, trigger them sure. with something, you know, uh, they've been through. And, and I learned a lot about PTSD. I ended up actually getting triggered myself um, for something that happened when I was a kid. And this is, you know, just very briefly mentioned in the film, but she ended up we had a good relationship and, and she ended up working with me. I ended up working with her, you know, she, uh, she was horrified by what she was seeing uh, going on in Washington with the, uh, uh, the Trump administration. Mm -hmm. you know, she just felt uh, very strongly that this was uh, reminiscent of what she grew up with as a kid. And uh, we talked a lot about that. Um, she was a very, optimistic person to me and i that's the first version of the song i wrote was a very optimistic upbeat kind of a thing <clears throat> still in a minor key the music was uh you know the music was was you know uh not down but it was it was definitely not a cheery happy Obby melody song. right 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 it wasn't pop um and uh uh but uh you know they I, I played it for her and her son, Sydney, and they came back and said, no, it needs to be darker. It mm. needs to be more, uh, you know, more in tune with what her actual experience was. And I'm like, fine. So that's what we did. Right. And it wasn't, didn't, uh, and, and sorry, I watched, I watched the film a couple of nights ago, but, and her son 
wasn't he the one who said she's she's much sadder? She puts on a brave face in public, but she's yeah. she's got this inner sadness, and that's yeah. what they wanted to see come through to the song. So that's the, what the yeah, that's what she well, that's what her son kind of thought was more befitting, and she was okay with that. But she did say she said keep the last verse. I want to I want it to end on an up note. <laughs> so last verse stayed, um, you know, but everything else kind of got changed around and made, uh, you know, a, a little bit more graphic, I guess. I talked about boots and marching and crystal knock and, and running and hiding. And I mean, all this stuff, I, you know, and the way I worked with her was I, I basically just, I took notes mm -hmm. and we would talk. And when she would say something I thought would fit somewhere, I didn't know where yet, uh, I would write it down. So the song is really co-written with her. She she contributed, you know, ninety percent of the lyrics. I mean, I just I just figured out a way to put them together in the melody and and the cadence and so forth and so on. But um, I, those are those are basically her words that I I used to to create that thing. So. Yeah, the song is called Above the Rain. And I've got a copy of it here that you, you, you sent us. Thank you for that. So I'm going to share it now so people can hear the culmination of your work with Rita. Uh, what's her last name again? Schwartz. Rita Schwartz. Rita Schwartz. I, yeah. I just didn't want to get it wrong. Uh, Michael Veach is with us. And here is the song uh, from the, the film, We Remember Songs of Survivors. It'll be, uh, it's on PBS this month. Good fortune of... Um working with a group up here in uh, New York State that uh, partners songwriters with uh, Holocaust survivors. And uh, uh, I've got one finished and working on a second one with another survivor. And uh, so this is a co-write with uh, Rita Schwartz, and uh, it's called Above the Rain. shines above the darkness on the days we've lost our way everything can feel so heartless the sky she always smiles above the rain when all appears undone she smiles she smiles on everyone won't last forever gone the boots and all the terror wait your chance for better weather we've got hope we've got each other here we'll smile above the rain right here we smile above the
Michael mm-hmm. Veach. Wow. That powerful and beautiful uh, above Thank the rain. You. Gorgeous. So that that was obviously from uh, taped at a performance that you did. It wasn't taken from the film. There are rights issues with, you know, playing something yeah, from yeah, the film. Yeah, yeah. Although um, I think we've just been given permission to uh, to put out these clips of, of our individual performances, you know, at the concert. Mm-hmm. I, I have to double check, but they're starting to float around. So maybe I can send you one of those. Oh, good. Too. Well, I, you know, I'm glad we were able to hear the song. And during, yeah. so in the film, you go through, you know, there, there's uh, footage of not only your meetings with, with Rita, but the other songwriters with, yeah, with the right. other survivors and the, the songwriting process. And then it culminates with a concert at the end. Yep. And all yep. This- and, uh, Go ahead. Yeah, and you all worked together. You worked. You you performed on each other's songs, and it was it's just a wonderful production. And we commiserated. You, commiserated. <laughs> you know, uh, some of the writers, uh, and I was lucky. I mean, it kind of came pretty easily to me. But some of the writers, the you know, it was uh, it was hard. It was a difficult subject. And um, so I was, you know, I was happy that I could help uh, anyway. I, I've mentored a lot of songwriters in my day, including in Germany. I started a songwriting group in Germany while I was there. Um, and so it, I found it very interesting and fascinating to see how each songwriter, um, you know, sort of approached it and how they dealt with it. I mean, that that was in itself, that was worth the price of admission because uh, everybody had a different experience and and it was fascinating just you know fascinating. It, it, the whole thing is fascinating and actually when i heard about the project before i saw the film i'm thinking okay so these are probably a bunch of you know jewish singer songwriters who <laughs> want to explore their heritage but anything but really um yeah. I, I i love the name Ke- kelly mckenzie um, who obviously <laughs> right. is not a Jewish name, and she's playing the banjo, and she, right? right. I mean, obviously, right. so it's a it's a coming together of different cultures celebrating a people who went through a horrible uh, chapter right. in our history. Right, and the songs didn't necessarily have to focus on what they experienced. I mean, that was the thing. There, there were no rules. If they wanted to sing about, you know, um, what they had made for dinner last night. I mean, it was really their call. It was up to them. And uh, and what I uh, the other part of this that was just crazy great was that we didn't really know what the other songs were going to be until the end. Oh, wow. When we all got together and we played our songs for each other, and that was the moment uh, that just, you know, when you hear the, how how different everything turned out, how everybody approached it differently. And, and of course, everybody brought their A-game, too. I mean, every song is, is just amazing. It really is. And, and the, um, in, in one of the cases, one of the women, one of the survivors, she, had, she was a, a singer in her day, and she yeah. actually performed on the song, which was just wonderful. Yes, uh, it was magic. And... Uh, um, you know, uh, Frida, and she she gave the most um, amazing little speech at the end uh, of her performance that, you know, uh, if you watch only one thing in this whole show, it's, you know, listen to what she has to say. It's, you know, so important and, and valid for what we're experiencing now and going through. And I, I just, I, I just... For me, that was the high point. Right. When, well, when she... you know, the music is wonderful, and it's it's just it's it's great to see this grow out of that. The other yeah. thing for me that I got a lot out of was meeting these four survivors and hearing right. their stories and sort of living through them. And during the the process of this project that you were all participating in, one of them died. Yeah, Tommy. Yeah. And and I never got to meet Tommy. I only met him through the film actually. I, I didn't I didn't work with him. I didn't get to meet him. But um uh you know, I know that Jude uh, Roberts who worked with him was floored. I mean, it was 
it was not easy. I bet. It was not easy for him and for the rest of us. We tried to do our best to help him feel better about the whole thing, but uh, he, he just felt terrible. And um, But that's so, one of the know. reasons why this project and others like it are so important, um, because the survivors, people who lived through the Holocaust, who survived those death camps, are dying. Mm-hmm. They're getting really old. Right. Right. They're moving on, yeah, and uh, the you know the the people we worked with were very young during the war. Yes. Um, the second round, uh, I worked with a fellow named Charles Shrebnik, and he was ten years old uh, during the war. And you know, I mean, that's really what's happening. And and they're all in their eighties now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, uh, I think it's fantastic that they have opportunities like this to. To you know, to tell their story, to leave leave a message. Um, PBS is going to keep this movie on their website for ten years. I was just told. Oh, nice. <laughs> so we're going to be great. there forever. <laughs> Good. Um, and and uh, uh, and that's really what it's about. It's about you know education, telling the story. Music is a great way. Now I got to say this. I got. I just got to say this at the concert that you saw in the film, mm-hmm. Newburn. what was not mentioned was that uh, the audience was in tears. Um, and people were having to get up and go out into the lobby to collect themselves. Wow. They literally were just breaking down. And that was the power uh, of the music. That was, the, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just uh, a lecture, you know. The music kind of brought it home in a way that, um, you know, uh, really affected people, really, uh, really got to them. Well, that's the thing about music. And that's why I love that you've, um, you know, that that this project was about music, bringing, using music to tell some of these stories. Now, there were four, you know, the the film featured the four of you and the four survivors. So the two men were Tommy, who passed away during the process, and Tibor, um, and he, Tibor, 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 yeah. and he, he was just wonderful. This and, and, you know, an artist as well, who had well, he some... did this painting behind me. Oh. Uh, I, I got the green screen on here and, um, and, and I've got the, uh, one of his paintings behind me. I, he's a, he's a fantastic, uh, uh, person and artist and, uh, um, you, you know, the, the whole story, there's a little clip on the PBS website, I think there's an extra three or four or five minute clip just about his story. And it's totally worth watching. I mean, he, um, it's fascinating how they survived the war. Uh, well, it is. And art's so important. Before you came on, I spoke to the producer of another film that is, uh, released on a much smaller scale. It's called, um, uh, uh, the the turning point, and it's on one PBS station in Southern California, but they're also putting it up on YouTube, and and they sh- it, in one part of it they feature the artwork of another survivor of the death camps that was just haunting. And I mentioned yeah. um, that I was going to be speaking with you, and that one of the survivors in your film was a wonderful artist, and all around him, and you can see it, I guess, in his apartment, filled with these images that are haunting and beautiful. He's still with us, too. He's still around, and he's still very active, and uh, I know he gave a number of interviews in advance of this. Oh, good. So it's, um, you know, um, the resilience of these people, and, I mean, that that was something else that, uh, was pointed out to me last night. I got a couple phone calls after the thing was on. And one of my friends called and said, you know, you really, um, you know, this, it wasn't all doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you actually got the positive message through as well. <laughs> they were trying to, you know, they were trying to say there's hope, you know, all is not lost. And, you know, Tibor was one of those people just vibrant uh, in the film and uh, he lives every day to the fullest and you know uh, and I, I I was told that that, that came through that yes. came across oh most definitely most definitely that's, that's all, all but, of them their personalities shown through and you know and the fact 
the way that you guys all work together was just wonderful. I, I hope people watch it. Again, this will be on 450 PBS stations. It's up at PBS.org. Um, you said it'll be on the website for 10 years. Good. I hope everybody watches it. Um, but, you know, check your local listings, as they say, because it premiered in some places last night. It'll play today and throughout yep. the month, through May 24th, it'll be I guess in rotation on PBS stations. Yeah, multiple times. Yeah, it's totally cool, and and the four of us um, are gathering to uh, do some live performing. Um, we're going to take it on the road a little bit here in the Northeast, nice. and uh, um, we've got a couple of dates booked, and we've got you know the fall basically is when things are going to start to happen, and we'll have some video clips and, and live performance, um, and you know we're hoping that once the legal releases happen, that we'll actually be able to, you know, do some screenings of the film and have some, you know, uh, live performance. And, oh, that'd be great. Know, Is there an album coming of the songs that we're, we're working on? It's done. It's recorded. It's mastered. And uh, uh, I, I believe it may be available um as a digital download at this point, but I don't think there's anything physical yet that's been pressed or anything, but um, there's, there's talk of it. Um, and also I, I'm, I'm told that we may be coming back in the fall on PBS again for a, another round. Yes. That's um, what they said. It's actually going to run through May 24th and then again in the fall, they're going to, yeah. they're going to broadcast it again. So good. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is music has a way of, of, of bringing things to a wider audience. You know, I was thinking about it the other night. I'm remembering songs from when I was a little kid, songs that I have not heard in probably 40 years. And I realized that this, you know, it's a great learning tool, as is comedy, by the way. With, with the rise of The Daily Show, more people, you know, got, got in tune with the news because they, they like to be entertained. I think and when Colbert you bring too. don't forget and Colbert, Colbert as well, of course. But when you bring <laughs> bring history or you know facts or whatever it is that you're trying to impart, the knowledge that you want to impart <clears throat> into an entertaining form that people can latch onto, it's a great way to spread the word to educate. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I'd love for schools to play this. I think it's just a wonderful film. And again, with the rise of authoritarianism, with the rise and in increase yeah. in anti-Semitism, with the, what we're seeing happening in Ukraine with, you know, with all the crazy in the world, it's important yeah. to not forget. And this is the mantra uh, that Jewish people, you know, live with, never forget, yeah. never again. And, um, you know, yeah. hopefully people will take this to heart. Well, there was that shooting in Pittsburgh while well, right in the middle of oh, working with Rita, is, you know, oh, wow. and I had to, you know, I had an appointment scheduled to meet with her and we had to talk about it and it, it was difficult. You wow. Know? I didn't Easy. realize that was then. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, these these things Thank take God. a while to produce, right? So yeah. yeah, it's it is very important, and this is just another way to get the stories out and to make sure that we do never forget. Um, uh, uh, Michael Veach, thank you so much. People can find you. You've got a website, Michael Veach. It's yep. v e i t c h dot com. Yep. It's it, Scottish. It's a Scottish name. Scottish. Okay. And <laughs> my father uh, was born there. You know, so great. And you're on Twitter at m veach and. Um, Turek, yeah. what kind of music do you usually do? Just like what we heard, but yeah, in your own yeah, voice? I'm a solo uh, acoustic performer. I've been, uh, you know, I've been performing for 35 years as wow. a solo acoustic act. And my big claim to fame before this was Judy Collins uh, recorded Veterans Day. She recorded that song, Veterans Day. Oh, nice. And I ended up uh, becoming uh, good friends with Judy and her husband. And, you know, it's... Um, the music world is a small world in many ways, uh, and uh, it, it's a very welcoming world, too, uh, in mm -hmm. many ways. So and then you I feel, live in Vermont? I'm in Woodstock, New York. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm born in Vermont. I'm a Vermont native. Gotcha. Um, but uh, I live... Uh, <clears throat> I live in Woodstock. My next-door neighbor is Ed Sanders of the Fugs, and, uh, you know, I've got... Tom Pacheco just down the street here. And, you know, I mean, and you have a great I'm, radio station, WDST. 
WDST, and I'm here because of the music. Gotcha. Uh, you know, I'm here because uh, great musicians, great little studios everywhere. I'm building a studio. You know, it's uh, if you're a musician, I, this is where you want to be. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. It's well, great. and and uh, yes, a station like WDST, that's the kind of music radio I used to do. So I'm I've come from yeah. your world as well. Michael Veach, it was great to meet you. Thank you for doing this movie. Thank and, you, Nicole. And uh, yeah, it's nice really to important. Meet you, too. you too. Okay. I really appreciate it. You take care. Bye bye. Yeah, you too. Thank Bye-bye. you. Uh, there you go, Michael Veach. So the two films we talked about are uh, a, a survive. We remember songs of survivors. Uh, check your local listings and the turning point, which I will post the link where you can watch it on YouTube on the blog today at nicole.sandler.com/slash/four-dash-twenty-seven-dash-twenty-two. If you happen to be in Southern California, you could see it tonight or tomorrow night on uh, your PBS station there and. Never forget and never again. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. And with that, we're done. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to uh, leave you with the news because we can. Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, I know this wasn't our typical show, but I thought it was an important um, way to never forget. Um, and that's it. All right. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye. It's time for Nicole Sandler's What's News from NicoleSandler.com and the Progressive Voices Network. Lots of bad news out of Russia today, but we'll start with some good news. Trevor Reed, a former U.S. Marine who had been held prisoner in Russia since 2019, has been freed in a prisoner exchange. The sentence was commuted for a Russian citizen, Konstantin Yaroshenko, who had been serving out a 20-year sentence on drug charges. In a statement, President Biden said, quote, The negotiations that allowed us to bring Trevor home require difficult decisions that I do not take lightly. His safe return is a testament to the priority my administration places on bringing home Americans held hostage and wrongfully detained abroad. Meanwhile, the Russian state gas company Gazprom said Wednesday that it cut off natural gas supplies to Poland and Bulgaria, escalating tensions with the West over Ukraine. The move followed weeks of threats that Russia would suspend gas deliveries unless buyers paid in rubles. Well, Poland's PGNIG gas company confirmed the shutoff but said it was still supplying customers. The U.S. and allies agreed in Germany on Tuesday to send more heavy weapons to Ukraine, despite Russia's warning that further support for Ukrainian fighters could provoke nuclear war. And then this, reports of explosions at three sites inside of Russia. Although Ukrainian officials haven't directly commented on it, a Zelensky advisor did say cryptically, quote, karma is a cruel thing. So more audio is trickling out from House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy in the days following the January 6th attack on the Capitol. In a January 10th, 2021 conference call, McCarthy told other Republicans that he feared several right-wing lawmakers were security risks. In the aftermath of the insurrection, McCarthy singled out Matt Gates of Florida, among others. He said Gates was, quote, putting people in jeopardy with attacks against fellow Republicans. The thing I want to bring up, and I'm making some phone calls to some members, I just I just got something sent now about Newsmax, something Matt Gates said, where he's calling people's names out, saying an anti-Trump in this type of uh, atmosphere than some of the other places. This is serious stuff people are doing that has to stop. I'll make individual yeah, I think calls. Mo, Mo and, uh, and Louis' comments, too, a lot of members have said, some real concerning things about. Did they say something today too? Mo was at the rally. You know, the we're, we're kicking ass and taking names thing at the Trump rally. McCarthy also noted that Trump supporters stormed the Capitol, quote, prepared with rope, with everything else. Gates slammed McCarthy and other Republican leaders as weak and sniveling. Why is that guy still in Congress? Tesla shares slid 12% Tuesday as investors dumped stocks on concerns that CEO Elon Musk might sell a significant number of shares to fund his $44 billion Twitter takeover. The decline reduced Tesla's valuation by about 
$126 billion. Wow. That means that Tesla's market capitalization is now down more than $275 billion since Musk revealed that he had become Twitter's biggest shareholder. Amazing. The value of Musk's 17% Tesla stake is now down more than $40 billion. At this point, it all just seems like monopoly money, right? So you know this by now, but I'm going to say it again anyway. COVID is still raging. Now it's Vice President Kamala Harris who's tested positive, though she is asymptomatic. Harris is the highest level Biden administration official to be infected with the coronavirus in a recent wave of infections. And this weekend, for some reason, the White House Correspondents' Dinner is back on. And masks are optional, I guess? Oops, he did it again, leaving some of us to wonder why he hasn't been charged. Madison Cawthorn, for some reason a congressman from North Carolina, was caught Tuesday trying to board a flight at North Carolina's Charlotte Douglas International Airport with a loaded gun. Charlotte police identified the 26-year-old member of Congress as the owner of the 9mm pistol and issued him a citation for possessing a dangerous weapon on city property. Officers confiscated the handgun. But note that this is the second time that this idiot has been caught with a gun at an airport. A TSA crew found him with an unloaded Glock 9mm in his carry-on at the Asheville, North Carolina airport in February of 2021, though he was not charged. He's also been accused of bringing knives to several schools. Again, I ask, not only why is this man still in Congress, but why hasn't he been charged? Harvard University announced Tuesday that it was pledging $100 million to research and redress the school's, quote, extensive tanglements with slavery in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries. Harvard released a report detailing how it profited from slavery through its donors. The document said faculty and staff members at the school enslaved more than 70 black people from the school's founding in 1636 until Massachusetts outlawed slavery in 1783. In a letter to the university community, Harvard President Lawrence Bakehouse said, quote, enslaved men and women served Harvard presidents and professors and fed and cared for Harvard students. The truth is that slavery played a significant part in our institutional history. And please note, that's not critical race theory. That's American history. Just saying. I got the and that's just a bit of what's news for now. I'm Nicole Sandler. If you appreciate these reports and the Nicole Sandler Show, I hope you'll consider making a contribution. My work is 100% listener supported, and I can't do it without your help. Find out more at NicoleSandler.com, and please click on that donate button.